Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate that you're on. We've kind of known each other for, I want to say like seven, eight, God, maybe nine years at this point. <clears throat> it's been quite some time. Yeah. And from state to state. So Rachel and I first met each other in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was running a, a networking group. She came out to the group. We connected and had some great conversation. And then what, like five, six years later, found out that both of us were basically 10, 15 miles apart from each other in Florida. Um, with a couple of states in between. So, Rachel, I appreciate you jumping on. Why don't you kick us off by giving us a little bit of context, uh, what you do for a living, and one thing that most people don't know about you. So, um, my name is Rachel Cavallo. I run Outcoast.com. That's my primary job. Um, I'm the publisher CEO. It's an online travel blog, digital magazine that focuses on promoting Florida as an LGBT um, place to visit. Um, so we highlight all the cool destinations in Florida that are LGBT inclusive and open, open doors. Um, something people don't know about me, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. But one of the things I have not shared much lately is that I just, I just wrapped up a, a six week online class on comedy writing. Um, so I'm, I'm dabbling with a little stand-up comedy when I have some extra free time. More as a hobby, not for professional reasons, but just a little fun outlet. I feel like we all need to laugh right now when we can. Yeah, I agree with that. So why, uh, why comedy? What drove you to that? Because I think my sarcasm probably is used at the wrong time a lot of, often. So it's, it's probably better when I do it in front of an audience that's, that's expecting the, uh, the sense of humor to come out. So I love making jokes. I love people making people laugh. I think if I'm not promoting LGBT inclusion, I, my, I think my purpose in life is to make people smile and, and, and laugh. That's, that's my mission, my personal mission at least. Yeah. And that's cool that you're taking that step out to, uh, to do some comedy. You know, I've, heard a lot of people say, I want to go do this thing. I want to take these lessons or I want to take this class or whatever. And for the most part, it's just jaw jacking. You know, they're just talking. I've been, it's been on my bucket list for a long time. Um, I, I've always, I think when I was younger, I was much, I mean, you've seen me over the last, you know, eight, nine, 10 years. But I think when I was younger, I was a lot more insecure. I was a little bit more nervous about getting up in front of a crowd that's changed with the work I do. So um, you know, I remember being that straight A student, but, and my mom taught speech. My mom was a speech teacher, uh, in college for many years. She, she also worked for NASA for many years, but, um, I always was embarrassed because the only class I didn't get an A in was speech. And now I do that stuff professionally. So, you know, I think it was just the right time, but I wanted to getting up on stage in front of people and cracking jokes about your life is it's both intimidating as hell and it's freeing at the same time so yeah i um i could only imagine the the balance between feeling like all right this joke is probably gonna push an envelope but you know fuck it here it is and just like tipping yourself over you're like you guys are here you've paid for this um and 
do you find that as you're kind of going through that course and as you're writing out these jokes that you're trying to filter a bit because you do live in an area not you know physically but in what you work in where it's almost still taboo for people I think the topics that I focus on when I do comedy I'm great and I'm still new I mean I've been cracking jokes my whole life but um, from a more structured comedy you know stand-up comedy kind of thing I I do a lot of jokes about my my life, my personal experience. Um, I've been married three times, so I've got a lot of content just there. Uh, so I don't necessarily get into a lot of the political stuff. I don't get into, um, I, I try to steer clear of that a little bit. I really like to be an open book, but somebody that like somebody that anyone could listen to. Um, I approach my work that way too. I mean, even though I focus on the LGBT community, and it definitely is hard to stay out of poli uh, political discussion, especially right now. Um, I still like to be a platform that anybody's welcome to learn and and you know look at the content. And I and I approach comedy that way too. You know, we can all relate to like stupid things we've done in life that we just make fun of, and marriage, and you know, relationships, and so a lot of it's um, that. I'm also in the middle of doing a little um, monologue about we had a yard sale this weekend, like a two day yard sale, and. My wife brought out the strangest things to the yard sale, like the things that were coming out of our house. I I almost got to the point. I'm like, maybe this is not the right house for me to be living in right now. <laughs> so there's like a ton of jokes right in that just, you know, that little snippet. But it's like everyday life stuff. It's not I, I want to be light and stay away from some of the deeper, heavier stuff where I can um, unless I can't avoid it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why people look at comedy and why they've looked at comedy for years and years and years and years is to be able to escape to be able to get away and also to relate you're right like there are certain things like like i went to the grocery store this thing happened this old lady dropped this thing in front of me uh you know slipped or whatever people are like i've seen that or i've been part of that or whatever that thing is but if you go down one specific niche you're probably only getting a certain percentage of the room so that's smart but let's take a little bit of a step back give us some context because Look, we had I'd said that we met in PA, we met in a networking group. Then you tell people you run an LGBT magazine to help people get to Florida. So give us a little bit of context of that. How did that journey kind of take you from, uh, I think when we met when you were in PA, were you, I think you were a writer, but. I went on like a very interesting um, professional it was very organic. Um, I So I lived in, so I grew up in Maryland, just kind of a little background. I grew up in Maryland, eventually moved to Pennsylvania. Um, when I started in Pennsylvania, I got a job through a connection uh, working for Marriott. I was doing, um, I worked as a sales executive for Marriott for about five properties. And that was kind of my, I was already in sales. I'd been in retail sales for many years right out of high school and then moved into more of a corporate business to business type of sale. Loved it. Um, but there were some personal things going on at the time, and I eventually decided to part ways with Marriott, and I moved over to work for corporate staples, and I was selling office supplies, all sorts of stuff. Um, and then I just kind of got burnt out in the corporate sales space. Um, I, I just didn't like it. Um, I had gotten very heavy at that point, like, you know, approaching like 300 pounds heavy and decided to go on a life transformation, lost a ton of weight. Um, granted, I didn't keep all, I haven't kept all of it off, but I'm in a much more balanced place. Um, and during that time, I, I went back to school, I got a degree in nutrition and like went all the way through the degree process and decided I hated it. Like I had no interest in it. I mean, we, I think we all do that at some point. Um, and it just didn't make me happy. I was miserable. I was going through some medical anxiety stuff at the time. And I thought, you know, 
I just have to start doing things that make me happy. And so I literally went home one day after quitting an internship. And with dietetic internships, you actually have to pay a lot of money to be a part of them. And I just decided to quit because um, I just, it didn't fill me. It didn't make me happy. And so I went home one day, wrote a list of all the things that make me happy. It was literally, I titled it the happiness list and wrote this whole list of like photography, travel, LGBT stuff, um, you know, foodie experiences, whatever that might be, art, writing. So like I literally one by one started doing things on that list. Like I, I could even like think about the order I did them in. And one of them was this LGBT networking component. And I had met my prior spouse at a gay bar in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And once we had met, the bar was only around for a year and it closed. And when that happened, pretty much the community dissipated. It wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't a place to gather. And so around the time where I was thinking about getting involved with LGBT stuff, I thought, let's just host a social event. Let's let's bring people together. I love to network people. I love to bring people together like you do. And so I brought um, a bunch of women together for like a music night and it was very successful. It was, it sold out. Um, we were right on um, Bridge Street in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania at a little wine bar and it was packed. And then I, the next month we went over to a different bar on, on Bridge Street and, and that was like a hundred people and it continued to grow. And what started as a social thing wound up, we decided to create an LGBT nonprofit right in the suburbs of, of Pennsylvania, um, which our county was very purple. So it was kind of a cool place to do it because it was a very mixed political county. Um, and I, I took it upon myself to go and meet with commissioners and meet with, you know, we couldn't get too much involved with politics because we were a 501c3, but personally I was going and having meetings and just introducing myself, making the LGBT community very, um, you know, making people aware of the community and the needs of the community. And that town has now become like a little quote unquote gayborhood, you know, of, of the suburbs. It still is today. And it's very cool to have had a little part in that. Um, and, and then eventually I got some, because of that role, I was brought on by a large manufacturing company right in Chester County to help them launch an LGBT employee resource group. Um, and then I, then we were looking at moving to Florida part-time and quickly fell in love with Florida and decided to launch my own platform that really goes into all the cool things to do in Florida from the LGBT perspective. And um, it started really more as a community platform for Tampa Bay. And in 2020, when everything was shut down and pride organizations were shut down, I had a lot of time on my hands. And I thought, well, if I'm going to go statewide, which was always the goal, um, I got to do I have to do it now. Like I can't, this is the time to do it because visitor bureaus are looking for people to travel. They're looking to make some money because they weren't because the hotel situation, you know, everything being shut down. So that's kind of how it all just kicked off. Now we're statewide, you know, it's, we still have some COVID stuff lingering, you know, of course, but travel's opening up again. And, um, it's just, it was just great timing the way it all happened. And it's great to be the kind of the face of the LGBT travel in Florida. Um, although it's been interesting lately with everything going on. So. Go on. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, right now, I mean, obviously Florida is in the news. We're in the news every day, especially when it comes to LGBT topics. Um, you know, whatever side of the platform you you're on, you can't argue the fact that it's a topic that's being talked about in the media. Um, and so we get people on one side that of course have their own perspectives 
about, you know, there's still people out there that don't like gay people. So, you know, we do get a little bit of the homophobic stuff that comes along, but we're also getting now we're getting lash, you know, um, pushed back by gay people. You know, when we go to promote LGBT Florida, a lot of people are saying, why would I spend money in Florida? I can go somewhere else. Um, so it's been an interesting dynamic because that's not happened before this past year. Um, so it's been interesting to navigate. I think my message is always, I will never wave a white flag. I'm going to continue to wave a rainbow flag. And if we stop coming and showing up and being present, not only in the big cities that already welcome LGBT people, but also in the small little country suburban towns that are just starting to to make progress if we just walk away and we stop showing up what happens nothing so um so i those are my favorite places to explore and have conversations and i take a non-in-your-face approach i'm much more conversational educational like listen i like to empathize with people um and that's not always received very well from certain people within our own community where they want to see you like taking action very, um, very loud and proud. Um, and I am loud and proud, but I tend not to be as loud as sometimes as uh, I think I used to be. <laughs> hmm. Sure. It's part of growing and learning. Uh, you don't always have to yell, honestly. I think some of it comes from being up in the Northeast. You know, I've learned over the course of time, like, oh, you don't get things done by yelling and screaming. Well, mom, why did you do such a thing? You know what I mean? And just having that sort of stuff in the back of your mind. I think the greatest tool is listening. I mean, oh, yeah. And I cut you off as I was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do think like the greatest tool we have to creating change is like shutting up and just listening, like listen to people, listen to their pain points. I mean, my background is sales, right? So if I walk into a potential client and I start just, you know, purging, like throwing up all the things that we offer and what we do, and it's all about us, I've never taken the time to listen to what's, what is painful to them. Why would they change? What, what are they looking for? So I kind of, I take the same approach when I talk to people that might have different views as I do. Let me listen, acknowledge that I don't have to always agree. Let me at least empathize or try to empathize with their perspective. And then you know, just making little kind of like crumb trails along the way as to how maybe their perception is is just different than what it needs. I mean, if, if someone's never been exposed to a transgender person, they're going to create assumptions in their head. I did, like before I even got involved with the transgender community, like I did the same thing. And my mind has changed so much over the years just because of being present with people who are transgender and and learning from them and asking them difficult questions and doing research on my own too we have to also you know take the time to do our own research yeah totally but that's a that's a level of caring that most people just don't give a shit about uh they'll bitch complain or they'll talk about things or say well i've heard at one point blah 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 it's like well did you do any research well no i was fed by cnn or whatever and they say this is the thing uh, let's get into mindset a bit because what you're talking about now is much further into your story, much further. You had alluded a bit that you were kind of um, shy and introverted way back in the day. And let's talk about the mindset of being able to kind of walk through the decision and understanding of this is who I am. And then kind of getting to the point where now you, you walk in and you're like, I don't have to scream and yell. We can have conversation. I can ask you questions and learn things. But I'm sure that was way different when you were in high school 
or even right out of high school. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, I think part of my, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think part of my insecurities came from the fact that I was, I've always been a curvy, full-figured person um, ever since I was little. I'm, I think I was born chubby. <laughs> um, and I think I've always been very aware of that. You know, nowadays, it's it's amazing to see the girls nowadays, you know, Gen Z, Gen X, the younger community, not Gen X, Gen Z, I guess, um, that's really embracing being full-figured. Um, I joke because nowadays girls are getting like butt lifts and I'm like, well, I've had it the whole time. I'm at least in style now. Um, they've caught up with me. <laughs> but, you know, back when I was younger, that wasn't the case. I I was like w- the, the girl in elementary school that was overweight. And so there was a lot of feeling like people were looking at me or that my value was based on my size. And I think that's what I had to get past first before I could really give up the insecurities that I was holding on to. I think a lot of it was like, are they looking at me? Like, are they watching me eat? Are they, you know, it was a very, I was very aware of people like looking at me. And I'm not sure exactly when that shift changed, that shift happened. I think part of it could have been, um, I mentioned I'd been married, I've been married three times. I think especially my second relationship, she's one of my best friends um, to, to this day. But I think part of that, I learned what unconditional love was. I learned, um, you know, even though we didn't work out as a couple long-term for other reasons, I still was loved regardless of my size. I mean, I was loved when I was almost 300 pounds and I was loved when I was like looking at, you know, really super thin at 150, 145 pounds. And Um, and that's when I was like, you know what, my weight really doesn't matter aside from my, the purpose of my health. Um, and so I think I started letting go of some of those insecurities and just embracing it, like embracing, Hey, I'm, I'm sexy at any size. I, as long as I'm healthy and you know, my blood work looks good. Like it is what it is. Um, and my other insecurity, a lot of what I've, I have struggled with through my whole life too. And this could very well be linked to insecurities, I've had anxiety issues since I was like 13. Um, I've, I've had anxiety attacks and that's been a real struggle for me. It's probably my Achilles heel because there are times in my career where I've wanted to do so much more and that one thing held me back from doing so. Um, it's gotten much better. Living in Florida has been natural medicine that I you can't get in a bottle. Um, I think Florida is the water, the sun, you know, if you're feeling anxious, just go outside. Um, you know, it's just an amazing place to live. And I mean, my vitamin D levels have like doubled since I've moved here. And I think that's been a, a huge part too. So I think my anxiety, as my anxiety gets better and I get more comfortable in my own body, my skin, my insecurities, my shyness just goes away. And there was something about sales. You know, I, I was in sales for many years and I went through many sales training programs and you couldn't be shy when you sold things. I mean, if you're shy, you don't sell. So I think that was another um, thing too, that just kind of helped push me through to, to build that confidence as well. Um, so a lot of things. Yeah. You'd also mentioned about not having to yell and scream about things. So think of the salespeople that are type A, but not really, but they're told to like, just push and go and do. And that's not really them. You know, I've seen some of the best salespeople that don't sell a damn thing. They just move through. And then by the end of it, people are like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. Can I also get this other thing? They're like, yeah, absolutely. Because they just worked with them. And I've also learned that like sometimes when I back away, 
when I'm like, hey, this might not be the right fit now, like people want to come closer to you. It's like that magnet, you know, that like physics. Um, you know, I when I was in sales, I, like you learn in sales to listen. You learn not to sell your services, but you learn to sell the benefit that you provide to them, right? So that has helped me to learn in my own life, um, you know, to listen more. And, and I think I did that in my job a lot, but I've finally gotten to the point where I'm doing that in my life too. And that makes a huge difference when it comes to relationships and how you connect with people. Um, you know, I think there are so many things like we learn about sales techniques, but we don't even think about how can you apply those same techniques to real life. Um, and when we start doing that, our relationships can get so much better. Uh, it, it's also like relationships. I mean, I, I think many people at this point have heard of or read um, the five love languages. Um, it's a great book, but people don't even think about, okay, yeah, well, that's for my relationships, but then how do I apply it to my business world too? And when we start thinking about things in a bigger picture that they all pertain to being human, I think it just, it can save so many relationships and just make life so much richer. With COVID and everybody, not everybody, but most people being kind of forced to work from home, your office is now your home, which has been difficult for people to be able to kind of separate. But there's also those people that really miss that love. They don't get that love like they did in the office of like, hey, man, I see you in here early. I see you in here late. I see you getting your work done. Like, thank you for doing that. They don't really see that. So there are some people that don't have have that communication. I literally was in a meeting at like 1030 this morning where we brought up the five love languages because somebody was like, you know, I could tell this person in production was just having a bad time and they were working their ass off. So this other person took two minutes and they were like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I think you're doing a great job. How are you doing? They're like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like that meant the world to them because that was part of their love language, but we don't often just mix them. Yeah. I mean like words of affirmation, yeah, and I've I've learned over the years. The one love language I would say please stay please keep out of the office is physical touch. Yeah, of course. Only your <laughs> yeah, that's not right. Yeah. Be like, man, you're doing a great job. HR issue. Yeah. <laughs> so will you please stop caressing my arm? This is creepy. Yeah, right. I think that's how the Me Too movement started. Um, so you know, I think for me, physical touch is is definitely been one of mine. Um, definitely not at the workplace, but. My uh, my main one is words of affirmation. It always has been. I mean, my parents were the parents that stroked your ego, whether you came in first for the race or last. My mom used to tell me, so funny story. My mom actually used to tell me that um, when I would, I was always the last to run the mile because I just had a little bit more weight to carry. And she said, "Honey, if if you don't finish the race, nobody will know that it's over. So good for you for being last." And that was like. <laughs> approach to it. Um, that was like the beginning of the trophies that everyone gets, you know, even if they win or lose. Um, but today it, I actually was at a wedding recently and I slipped in a, uh, a, a pool and I, at my sister's wedding and I twisted my knee and I found out today that I tore my MCL. I had an MRI done yesterday, very minor. It, it should heal on its own. But, um, I was so excited because I said, Oh my God, it's my first sports injury. <laughs> And I, I called a friend. I was like, I got my first sports injury. And they're like, what were you doing? And I'm like, I think I was doing the belly flop, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so, Drinking heavily. That's yeah. what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think, you know, but back to the words of affirmation, I, I think it's so important, not only in the work setting, but it like in relationships in general with friends. You know, if, if I know that my friend 
is quality time is her love language. I'm going to do things to spend time with her, right? If I know that acts of service is her love language, maybe I'll offer to like walk her dog or something when she's, you know, she's not around or, you know, something like that. Um, if it's words of affirmation, you better believe I'm going to be texting her. Hey, way to go. Like way to go on what you, you're, I have a friend who's a singer, like way to go tonight. You were amazing. Like that's, that's the way you have to speak to anyone in any aspect of your life. If you, if you really want to create a positive exchange of communication, I mean, this is why our world is having such an issue right now. You know, we're all getting our own opinions. We're not thinking about empathy. We're not thinking about love languages. We're not thinking about any of that stuff. And so when someone comes at you and is, you know, angry, have you stepped back to think, well, have they had a bad day? Are they, have they been exposed to what you're trying to teach them? Do they know anything about it? Like what is their, what are their biases? Um, you know, are they not getting the love language they need in their personal life where they're taking it out on other people? Like there's so, people are so much more complicated than black and white issues. And I think it's just, I wish we could all learn just how to more effectively communicate. Cause I think we'd, you know, my wife and I don't agree on everything politically. We're actually different, which is interesting given the work that I do and, um, you know, the spaces that I'm, that I'm in and I have several friends who politically don't necessarily align with me. And it, it would be easy to get angry at them and cut them out of my life and say, sorry, we can't do this. But we actually have the most, when we have like really intense conversations that are respectful, we both learn so much more than if we just put a wall up and ignored each other. So I, I wish that for the world that we could do more of that. Yeah. I, I think things like this open the doors for that, where these sort of conversations allow people to understand that I can have some of these conversations. Some of these thoughts that I have aren't crazy or they're not just singular thoughts because other people have those as well. It's a matter of having the conversation. And I love when you get in a conversation with people and they're like, no, it's this thing. And then you have a conversation or like, well, you know, maybe I didn't really understand. So I just jumped to the closest thing. Um, and I'm sure you have a lot of those conversations with people probably more often than you actually want to have you know if you could just be like this is what we're doing people are like yeah let's do it i think what i think there should be a common i was just thinking about this there should be a common practice that when you go into a conversation with someone that you know you probably will butt heads with because you have differences of opinion there should be a statement said in the beginning hey this is a safe space whatever you say i will listen we may not agree but let's have a respectful conversation. I think just, I think sometimes when you set the stage for this, this could be a little bumpy, but we're going to work through it. It just makes for a more effective conversation. Um, you know, there are certain topics that I, there, I know there are certain people in my life I cannot have certain topic conversations with. And then I also know that there are certain people that I can have amazing conversations with. And I've also, I think as we get older too, we also start getting better at recognizing you, you can't have one person in your life that takes care of everything for you. Like you have to have like different people in your life. So my wife can't be my therapist. She can't be my, my batting board for, you know, punching bag for political commentary. You know, she can't be the one that's always getting excited about every gay thing I do because as, even though she's gay, like she, I don't know if she doesn't think she is. She just doesn't, isn't into like the, she's just not in, into all the pride stuff. And that's, that's awesome actually, because it gives me a break. Cause I do that all the time. So when I come home, I don't have to do that. Um, but I have the people in my life and the resources in my life now that, and I intentionally found the people in my life and those friends that 
now I have the people that kind of meet all those needs. So um, I think that's another important thing to do too. So, cause if you keep trying to have conversations with the people that you just know you're never going to see eye to eye with, like, why are you doing it? Because you're just trying to like flare people up. What's the point? What's the end game? Man. So uh, some of those people, I think they really do kind of poke at the bear because they want to, they want to get a rile out of somebody because it's uh, a little bit of an adventure, you know, with people working from home now, there's like, oh, well, my day's kind of boring as hell. So let me push this a little bit. But there are certain people. Let me start a fight on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go pick a fight with a random person. I will admit I have been a bear poker in the past. Um, I don't poke anymore. I might like push a little or cuddle. I don't know. It depends on my mood, but. <laughs> cuddle and poking are a little different there. I know. It's just, there's just no point to it. Like there are times even I kind of run through my own head and I will say, okay, why am I about to say this? And it's hard to stop yourself. It's really, really hard to stop yourself when you're angry or flared up about something. But when you can do it, the amount of power you feel in that moment from just being able to stay like, okay, am I doing this because I really need to have this conversation with this person? Or am I doing it because I want to rile them up because I know what I'm going to expect from them? And when you can just stop yourself and say, you know what, it's just not worth it. The, you just feel there's so much power you get from from doing something like that. And then you just choose the person to go have that conversation with that might be a better fit for that conversation. Or, um, you know, I, I think I think if we all like listen, like, again, communicate better, but also, and I'm not always the best at this, but thinking before words come out of our mouth and thinking through the potential repercussions of what comes out of our mouth because we can't take it back. I mean, you could post something on Facebook. I've done it before where I vented on Facebook and then I'm like, why did I do that? And I'll delete it. And inevitably, like five, you know, five seconds later, I get a message. You just deleted this and it's already out there. People have already seen it. You can't undo what you just said. Someone's going to have seen it already. And that that's a real that's a real thing that a lot of people struggle with that they don't normally talk about. Like that's not normal conversation you get into where they're like, you know, I'm really struggling because this one person at work really pisses me off. Or I have this one employee that I just can't get through and I snap off at them. Most people don't get into those conversations, but that's why this show is is here. So talk to us about how you actually go through that. The, the process you take yourself, if you were to step outside yourself and break that down a little bit, when you're just about to see, say the words and you grab the fucking words and throw them back in your mouth and go, no, you're going to eat these and not say anything yet. So what is your process? Well, I've already... I've already said that I'm um, fairly, I can be fairly, fairly sarcastic at times. I think my, my, uh, my former wife will say I definitely throw out sarcasm, probably at the wrong timing, maybe we're, when we're in like a real serious conversation. So I think part of it for me has, has been, especially the last couple of years, is when I'm about to say something before, I, before it comes out of my mouth, whether it's on or on, out of my fingers if I'm on like Facebook, um, you know. Does it, will this come across as sarcastic and and um, in, insensitive? You know, because unfortunately, Facebook, according to Facebook, I've wanted to murder many people. That's not true, but Facebook can't actually understand sarcasm. So when you tell your friend, you know, I'm going to kill you, like Facebook is like, wait a minute, this person might kill someone. Let's, yeah, right. So, so first of all, it's like, how how will Facebook perceive this? How will the people that are reading this perceive this? Is there a better way I can say this? 
Um, yesterday, in fact, there was someone that was ran, like, they had this super long monologue on Facebook about some of the stuff they're going through, the personal stuff they're going through, like family drama. And at first, the judgmental side of me, which I think we all naturally have, we just have to become aware of it. You know, the judgmental side of me is thinking, why the hell are they going on and on about their own, their drama? Like, this is not the place for it. And then I had to push myself back before my finger, like I wouldn't have said anything mean, but I had to really like put push myself back and think, okay, what could this person be going through? Are they, do they have nobody to talk to? Like, could this moment where they're venting publicly be what saves them from doing something that might hurt themselves? You know, so if I start thinking that way, and then I can comment with, then I'm commenting with empathy. I'm not commenting with my opinion. I'm not commenting with judgment. I'm commenting with, hey, just want you to know that you're being thought of. It sounds like you have a lot going on right now. I empathize with that. Like just being able to say that is such a different response than, hey, we all have problems. Like suck it up. Like, you know, or why are you venting your shit on Facebook? Like, I just think if we just take five seconds to just, think before we we act. I think it's very effective both in and, and I'm always I'm not always great at it. I mean it's on Facebook you can before you type you can at least pause to think. I think when we're communicating with someone or talking to someone, that's a different situation. It's harder to do that because you're you can be very reactionary. Um I, I, and like I said, I just go back to empathy. Like even on the topics I like I've we've talked about, I do a lot of the work in the LGBT community. We don't have to agree on the same things, but can we at least step back and empathize with what the other person is thinking? Um, not in a way that justifies hate. I don't, I want to clarify that. I, I don't mean, hey, empathize with you calling someone a name. No, I'm not saying that at all. It's more, can I empathize with maybe where they're coming from or what their upbringing was or what the pain is that they have related to this topic? And then maybe meet them where they are and then help to create progress from where they are, not, you know, and some people won't progress and you just have to get to the point where you accept that. Um, but just connect with them on Facebook so you don't comment with stupid <laughs> things. Yeah, it is funny because they're... I've been put in Facebook jail a couple of times. Well, some of those things are stupid when you get put in Facebook jail because of something that you didn't actually mean. But I've also seen other people post things and then they disappear for a couple of weeks and then they come back with a post. It's like, I'm back. I'm like, <laughs> I thought so. Cause that shit you post, it was a little wild. Speaking of comedy, there's a couple of comedians that I've connected with on Facebook over the last or, or several over the last few months. And they are always so proud when they wind up in Facebook jail. Cause we're all, you know, they're always saying things that are sarcastic and then you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> Facebook doesn't get sarcasm. And you know, I, I used to get, go, like, when we talk about insecurity, so I've been on Facebook since it started, and I use it a lot, just like you probably do for networking and growing my following. And when I came to Florida, I think I, I friended every gay person in Florida, or I at least tried. Um, there's a lot more gays than 5,000 people, but, I, you know, I tried to get them all. And I wound up, I think I have, like, the 5,000, you know, max friends on Facebook. I use the friend the term friends very, very loosely. But I used to get upset when like someone would unfollow, like unfriend me. Um, I mean, this happened a lot when my ex and I broke up because, you know, people choose sides and they unfriend one person or the other. And I used to take it so personally. I'm like, why do they unfriend me? Now the more confident, secure person is saying, thank God somebody unfriended me. That Now I can 
now I can add more people and connect with more positive energy. So I kind of just reframe it and look at it a different way. If, if, if people are in front of me, they're just not meant to be in my circle anymore. And it's time to find a new positive circle. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, there are people that are building a business like yourself, uh, like myself, even with the podcast, coaching, and other things that other people are doing that they look at these little macro things and think, oh, some somebody unfriended me. Oh, what's wrong with me? That's a beautiful point to say, is there anything wrong with me? No, there are things I'm working on. All right, cool. Moving along. And you just keep moving. There are times where I've looked at posts that I've posted. I'm like, yeah, this is a really good post. Three people like the damn thing. I'm like, well, fucking come on, people. I thought this was a great post. And it doesn't matter. I'll follow you, Nick, and like every post if it makes you feel better. <laughs> uh, don't, you, don't you do that. I mean, those are things. And it's real talk of going through that just over the course of time since Facebook's been around. That's part of social media where somebody posts anything and they're like, I want everybody in the world to like it. And that's not how it should be. I know there are certain things I post, even like mindset wise, that I'm like most people that I'm friends with that have been part of my Facebook friends since 2006 or whatever. Some of them aren't going to post or, you know, like it. Other people are going to like it. And there's consistency with that. And then I post something stupid and they go, yeah. And you just, and you never know what's, yeah, and you never know what's going to get a reaction. Like I'll post something that promotes a friend's business or my own. And of course it's ignored because Facebook, I guess their algorithms want you to pay for those. And then and then I'll get ones where I'll talk. One of the, one of the things I do sometimes is like my wife and I will have a funny convert, like a funny interaction. And then I'll just post like the, you know, four sen sentence exchange of that interaction. And those posts will always get, you know, reactions. Um the other day I posted, you know, there's a new uh, lesbian bar that's that's opened locally here in the Pinellas County, St. Pete area in Largo. And it's awesome. I think it's time for a woman's bar. There haven't been any in this area. It's mostly, you know, mostly men frequent the LGBT bars. And for women, that's not always, they don't want to always hang out with a bunch of gay men. Like it's just not a similar scene and it's comfortable sometimes. But I was, I was, I said, it's great that we have this new club, but let me tell you the reality for this lesbian. Like, I don't want to be dancing and drinking late. I'm kind of tired of the club scene. If I see one more drag show, I'm going to go crazy. I would rather we all have like a big movie, like a big, like, you know, lounge where we could sit around and have, you know, hot, hot cocoa with pajamas on kind of like what you do at home, but you'd have it with your friends. Um, you know, we'd have board games. We'd have like a dart board on the wall where you could put a picture of your ex and just start throwing darts. Like realistic lesbian world. Like let's like what we would normally. And then the bar closes at 8 p.m. when most lesbians go to bed. So that was and I, so I I ranted about this on Facebook in a jestful way. That post was so popular. It had so much interaction um, with people chiming on what else they would add to that lounge, and um, those always do well. But yeah, the ones that you want to do well and they don't, you're like. All right. But you can't take it personally anymore. I mean, <clears throat> and it's a balance. You just can't. I, you know, I kind of go back to the old saying that you are the five people you spend the most time with. And so if people are unfriending me on Facebook, I don't want that energy anyway. That's not going to help me find my, my five people. Oh yeah, totally. And I think for your personal Facebook, that's got to be personal Facebook. Like there are people that really try to build a business through it. Yeah. I mean, I do use, yeah, I do. Um, I've gotten much better at um, really being careful of the type of content I share on Facebook. I still share a lot, but it's usually within my personal and business brand. So it's 
you know, typically something to do with Florida, something to do with LGBT community, um, something to do with my, like my marriage or relationship in a, not in a sharing our personal stuff way, but more in a, what's going to make people smile and laugh that they can relate to. Um, you know, like the other day I, I had purchased, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was updating some of my personal clothes items. So I was buying a few nightgowns online and, um, and I also, because we just bought a little RV, I also bought a pair of mosquito pants. And so, <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that post. Will you wear these? I was like, no. Yeah. I was like joking on Facebook. I was like, so these work really well. It was like this cute little red negligee. And then it was like a mosquito pants that came in the same package from Amazon. And I was like, it's a perfect pairing. I think they look, they're very, you know, you wear your nightgown or you wear the mosquito pants. They're both sexy in their own way. And, um, the poor guy at the UPS store, when I returned both of them together, though, he got very concerned and nervous. He was like, I'm not sure what's going on at your house, <laughs> but this is strange. Yeah. That's like when you go to the grocery store and you buy like a lighter, tampons, C4. And I'm like, where the fuck did you get the C4? Like, yeah, it was aisle 13. Well, that's my wife. The other day at this yard sale, she brings out a horse whip. Did you tell her, put that back with the noose? <laughs> right. And spurs. I think she had a pair of spurs, too. And then she brought out some rope. And then she brought out, you know, the harness things that you use to lift refrigerators, like the straps? The arm straps. They, so she brought out a set of those, but I didn't know what they were. All I saw was these giant straps she's bringing out. I'm like, I'm a little concerned about this. And then she brings out a welder. I, it was a very strange mix of items. So was there a moment where you were like, how do we have that much weird shit in the house? And how much space do we have? No, the two things that concerned me the most were the autographed Nixon book. <laughs> and the youth Hitler knife. So like what World War II, this was like her grandfather's World War II collectibles are a thing. Like people collect this stuff. Well, I was raised Jewish. So I see this like youth Hitler knife that I never knew was even in the house. And I'm like... Did I marry a Nazi? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I didn't. I, I was I was later told that it had nothing to do with that. It was more of a collectible thing. and um, But it was just such a bizarre... I've never seen a yard sale with such bizarre, bizarre stuff. It was, uh, it was interesting. I wish I could say that I haven't, but... Kind of reminds me of that. I, I... Do you remember the old, uh, the old game show? And I'm totally blanking on this. I'm sure some of your viewers are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But the one where you, you're presented with something behind a curtain and then you can choose um, option one or option two. It's like an old game show from, I think, the 70s or something. But then part of that game show, everyone in the audience is dressed up in costumes and they have bags. And during part of that game, you like the host yells out, does anyone have a, I don't know, like a purple lipstick or a blue lipstick? And whoever pulls it out of their purse is the next contestant on the show. I'm totally blanking on the name of the show. I feel like my wife would have won that show like she has everything in this house she's like yeah i've got three of them here you go right oh <laughs> uh, that is funny um it's funny to think that um there are a lot of people that keep random things that may have no meaning to somebody else like that knife somebody could look at it and be like oh just a little knife but there's a deep story to it and that person your wife specifically there's a deep story with her and the family and all of that 
your story was a bit different. You're like, it's whose? And it's in my what? In my house? Get that the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, and it's a different, I mean, the, that knife was a perfect story because again, it's a, it's a, not like a, like a Nazi youth knife, which to many people is a collectible. It's not an item they're getting because they're Nazis. This is not a hateful item that they have in their house. In fact, the kid that there was a kid that bought this, it was a 20 year old that collects World War II memorabilia that wound up purchasing this item. And it wasn't because he was pro Hitler. It was because he was just fascinated with that whole era and that time period, just like people collect things from the Titanic or, you know, whatever the historic, the Kennedys. I know people are obsessed with the Kennedy story, um, you know, JFK story. So, but it, I also step back and my, my wife and I were raised in extremely different families. Um, I had the family unit, the, the traditional middle America, you know, um, middle-class America family unit, my wife had a whole different story. Um, that was, I don't envy her story at all, it, you know, without sharing too much detail. And the woman who wound up raising her, like we have several pieces of furniture in this house that actually that knife was in there. It was like stored away in this cabinet I'd never even gone through. Um, and we finally started parting with it. Nothing in that cabinet aside probably from that knife had any kind of value, but it all has value to her because of her upbringing and the person that raised her. I'm looking at that same piece of furniture thinking we don't really need that in the house, you know, but I know the sentimental value. And I think if we can step back and look at, um, I think that you can relate that to any conversation with two people that have differences of opinion. Like what is understand that story? Where is that coming from? Why does that mean so much to her? And um, I think it changes the way you communicate with people when you, when you take the time to do that. Yeah. It, it actually allows you to understand what, that meaning is to them because if you're if you don't understand that at all and you go oh well, this this is just taking up space it's trash that could be shocking to that person because it has so much weight and so much value to it yeah that's and you have to be careful about how you phrase it i could when i first moved in with her i mean i moved into her house where she had a lot of stuff already and it didn't feel like my space yet and we created that over the last few years um but if i had come in and said this is ugly like that would have minimize the importance of her history and her past and her life. And I think that's such an important thing to think about when you're on any topic, like maybe this, you know, when we talk about like in the LGBT space, when someone, you know, I get people often, and I think it happens more from like some of my Republican friends or, or acquaintances, well, they'll say like, why is, why is this such a big deal? Like, why is shouting out loud and waving a rainbow flag, like such a big deal to people? Like, I just don't get it. Like I, I'm okay with gay people. I don't worry about that is what they'll say. Well, the reality is it is a big deal to those people. So you have to step back and acknowledge that and empathize with that and stop trying to put up walls that might make that other person feel disrespected. Like Allow them the freedom to be who they are in the space they are. And if it's not a big deal to you, great, but at least respect that it is to them and, and, and make sure that, that's, that they're heard. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it goes back to empathy. And communication. So uh, I love how this is, yeah, I love how this is kind of wrapped back to that. So Rachel, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. What's that one piece of advice you'd give to somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery? Well, aside from the things we've talked about, like the empathy and communication, I think the one thing that I've, that is the probably the hardest thing to learn, but you have to, is being able to take criticism. I think that is really the key to success. Um, I, 
I've been in a couple of situations. I used to get so offended by it when people would say, you know, you're being an asshole or that wasn't really nice to say. But the reality is when you step back and you actually listen to it and you you figure out why that person might have thought that way, you get an opportunity to grow. Um, I invite that now when people come up to me and say, hey, I hate that you do this. I'll look at them and I'm like, thank you. Like, first of all, it diffuses the situation. And second of all, I get an opportunity to, to learn. And I think that's a big part of why we're on this earth is to learn and as much as we can. Yeah, that that's a great point. Absolutely. So, Rachel, again, thank you for being on the show. Where can people connect with you? So um, definitely follow outcoast.com. And I say outcoast because we are outcast, but it is spelled with coast. Um, so outcoast.com, um, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. And I love to do um, training and consulting. So if anyone's looking to learn how to better effectively either market to the LGBT community or connect with the LGBT community um, and have effective and authentic conversation, then definitely contact me. That's good stuff. Again, thank you, Rachel. We appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self-Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.